0: Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit. of saying today we get to have the second time in our year to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. In fact, it was uh, three months ago uh, on today that we celebrated Easter and it was uh, in Matthew 20 verses 17, 18, and 19. We were in that text and one of the key things we saw was he knew. Jesus knew. It was weeks, it was time before actual activities of what was going to take place in Jerusalem, his uh, his being condemned, his being taken, condemned, his being crucified, all of that he knew in advance. He didn't just like come upon it, he knew it in advance, and the thing about it that we talked about on Easter was, how crazy is this? He knew all that was going to happen to him, and yet he still went. Man, I got to tell you, I would totally be running the other way. I am that much of a sissy. Fully admitted on the table. When you knew all that was going to be coming all the way to crucifixion, and yet he headed straight into that fire uh, for us. What a blessing. And we talked about how that should awe us and draw us and secure us and drive us in that text. Well, uh, Matthew 20, he not only said that he would be crucified, but he also said, In three days after my crucifixion, I will rise from the dead. Remember that, by the way, here today as we get into our text. He told his peeps, he told them that he was going to rise three days after. And that was the fifth time in the book of Matthew that that, uh, Jesus had communicated that. Don't forget it. Remember that with what's going. Um, If you haven't already, open your Bibles to Matthew 27. We're going to be there here in just a couple minutes. Um, One other thing about that... um, Easter Sunday that correlates into today is I gave uh, two quotes on that Sunday. One was from William Bernbach, the award-winning creative advertising uh, director of the 60s and 70s, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with. Uh, But he made the statement that you are probably somewhat familiar with, and that statement was audience audience familiarity breeds apathy. Audience familiarity breeds apathy. I also noted uh, William Hazlitt a great critic and essayist some 200 years before uh, uh, Bernbach made a similar statement where he had the idea where he said, familiarity takes off the edge of admiration. And here we come in, so it's one of these things where I addressed Easter with these quotes and I said, we have a familiarity with the resurrection of Jesus rising from the dead. In some shape, manner, or form, you have heard that Jesus is being is said in the Bible to have risen from the dead and and that familiarity gets in our way at times and so I had the challenge then and I have the challenge again because we're in Matthew 27 where it is actually Jesus rises from the dead as we see it today so it's kind of like man I'm telling you as a preacher it's one of these things where it's like how glorious I get to preach about the resurrection of Christ and yet what a challenge because everybody has familiarity with this, and we don't fully grasp the grandness of it. So what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Two things come to mind. One is Doug, just preach the text. Just preach God's word because that's what it's about. The spirit of God uses the word of God to change life. So we're gonna do that. Another thing that comes to mind is as we're coming to the end of this study through the book of Matthew is if I can just take a few minutes kind of, if you will, maybe for a Bible study moment here. Um, And that's this. I think oftentimes people look at the four gospels and they read them more like they're Sherlock Holmes or Columbo. That just dated me. Uh, We like watching Columbo. Um, Columbo or like you're a police detective and there's this concept in studying the gospel is called harmonization and that means you take the four gospels and you put the full of those the accounts provided in them and you harmonize the movement of the whole and that's a wonderful study to do and a really cool thing to do but but one of the things that's so wonderful about just staying with one of the gospels is that there's a thing that is called authorial intent And God moved individuals along, the Spirit of God used individuals to pen down his words. And in the moving of that, God has allowed these individuals to kind of come at it from a certain angle, if you will, to tell their account. And so it's not just one telling of the life of Christ. We have four tellings of the life of Christ. And the four tellings of the life of Christ in all of that means that they're written by four different unique authors, written to four different unique audiences writing four different unique accounts, and each of them have a unique emphasis that they are looking at the text. And and so in this effect, let let me kind of point this out. Uh, John includes Nicodemus assisting Joseph of Arimathea, as we will see today, in in getting Christ, the, the, the crucified Christ into the tomb, but Matthew says nothing about that. You have Mark and John tell us that the ladies brought spices to the tomb, but Matthew doesn't say anything about that. You have Mark tells us that Peter was at the tomb. Uh, Matthew, again, has nothing about that. Uh, Mark speaks of the ladies asking how they will get and open the tomb. Matthew doesn't say anything about that. Uh, Here's one in recent years that has kind of become an interesting discussion. Matthew states one angel at the tomb Uh, Mark states, a young man at the tomb. Luke notes, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. John uh, says, Mary saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus laid. And people go, conflicting information. In fact, books have been written on this kind of, coming out and saying, listen, they're not consistent in what they tell you. Uh, I would say this, I think they are fully able to be harmonized together in it all. If you really look at the unfolding of what's being told in all of them, but it's also forgetting that we have four unique tellings of the accounts of Christ, and that is a good thing. That's a blessed thing. So why am I saying all this? Because today, in the 11 years of our history as a church, this is the first Sunday that we get to see the resurrection of Christ in the book of Matthew I think that's exciting (laughs) when you understand that each of them are pulling this information together and kind of telling from a little bit different angle there should be an excitement about coming goodness sakes we get to look at Matthew and see the resurrection of Christ so church we get to look at Matthew and see the resurrection of Christ today and (laughs) love you love that thank you And I'm going to say this. There's some unique things about Matthew. Matthew highlights the guards. Matthew is really the only account that tells about the guards and everything that takes place. Matthew highlights the tomb. And this is one of the things I love about Matthew. He highlights the miraculous with what's going on. So we're going to dive in. Uh, So no apathy, no low admiration today. We get to study Matthew and see the resurrection of Christ. So we're in chapter 27. We'll be going into chapter 28. I've got it laid out here. Four movements, I think, that go through Matthew. Uh, One words I've used for each of those. Entombed, secured, raised, bribed. Let's go there and let me ask for God's help in this. Lord, this is all about you. This is all about the fame of your name. And yet the reality of the fame of your name carries into the reality of our lives. And so we go into this not just learning some information or pieces of data about you. We go into this text, the pinnacle of redemptive history as far as the death and resurrection of Christ. Oh my Lord, we, we are at a pinnacle point in a movement of your redeeming work. And we hang on this we truly hang on this today show us more of you show us more of how we can know you in your name we pray amen well let's begin chapter 27 entombed um i want to kind of catch up i know so many have been on vacation it's a good thing let me kind of chapter 27 verse 50 just to catch up where we're at and jesus he's on the cross cried out again with a loud voice other gospels tell us it is finished. And he yielded up his spirit. Jesus' life was not taken from him. He gave up his life. Very important reality in what's going on with things. Then you come down into the next paragraph towards the end of that. Uh, 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 we find the centurion and the guards who are there at the cross and they reply, they're filled with awe because of everything that's taking place and they say, truly this was the son of God. What a declaration. And then we have this really cool sweet moment, verses 55 and 56. And there were also many women there looking from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee. It's just so sweet. We're gonna see more of that here in the text. Let's pick up Christ is uh, dead on the cross, uh, and here we go, verse 57. When it was evening. Let me just pause there and kind of set the stage for it. What's being talked about here is most likely right around that time of the year, this would be about 6 p.m in the evening. It marks the end of Friday. It's the beginning of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day begins on the sunset of Friday. Jewish law, Deuteronomy 21, says that there is no person who is uh, um, uh, killed on a tree. How interesting is that, by the way, in Deuteronomy 21, can be left up on it overnight. And that's an ironic thing, because Uh, In Roman practice, when someone was crucified, they let them hang there. In fact, they wanted them to stay on the cross for a period of time. And uh, the reason for that, obviously, is is they wanted to drive their point home. Don't do what they did or else you'll end up like they did. And I'm really sorry to say this here mid-morning with things, but um, can you imagine someone crucified on a cross... Hanging up there for a week and then two weeks, and the birds and the animals. I'm telling you, crucifixion was a gruesome, cruel, horrific scene. And, uh, and yet, uh, Romans, because they allowed the Israels to kind of follow some of their practices, this is one of the things that we see. So it's coming evening here. Let me keep moving. Uh, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, uh, who also was a disciple of Jesus. That's really all we know about Joseph. Verse 58, he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Why would he go to Pilate? Well, he would go to Pilate, if you remember um, the other Sunday, the whole crucifixion process was in the, 100% in the hands of the Romans. So to make any movement that had to do with the crucifixion, uh, it was all in the hands of the Romans, so you don't go to the chief priest, you go to the Pilate to get permission to be able to take the body off of the cross here. Um, and can you imagine the scene of going to Pilate Asking to be able to, I'm going to tell you, just cut to the chase. Joseph was one courageous man in doing this with all the scene that had taken place at the time of Passover here. And it intrigues me that Joseph of Arimathea, a follower of Christ, goes, Where are the disciples? You know, when, when someone dies, there is a sense of grand care about that body. And finishing things in an honorable way. The Jews clearly had that. And yet here, Joseph of Arimathea has that. And yet I kind of ask, where's Jesus' family even? Where, where's the other disciples and the followers of Christ? Man, big creds to, to Joseph here for what he's doing. Verse 59, and Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud. Stop for a minute. These are the kind of statements that we move by so quickly, and we don't pause to think what is happening here. Jesus has been beaten to a living pulp, hung on a cross, and he dies. Every square nanometer of his body is filled with sweat, blood, and yuck. I can't even fathom what it is to take such a body off of a cross that has been nailed. How did they do that? Most likely, the Roman soldiers were actually the ones, I'm sorry to be gross here, but how do you take the nail that's been driven through into the wood, how do you pull that out? And then it's a... And then the other, and then the whole feet thing, and all that's going, and then this body's laid in the dirt, and and, and then you're wrapping. Friends, I am telling you, it does not get more close to the reality of the truth of the gospel than right there. Messy, and yet engaged with Christ in it. I'm just telling you there's something amazing in what happens in this moment that only Joseph, and by the way, we're told in the other Gospels, Nicodemus, have the opportunity and the blessing and the guts to do. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his tomb, in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock He rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. How sweet is that? Body is taken down, wrapped, taken, put into, Joseph has a tomb put in there. The stone, this massive stone is rolled in it. I'm not going to get into the whole tomb thing. It's not that important. Matthew doesn't go into the details of it, so I'm not going to. I'm going to get into what Matthew does and what Matthew says is then you've got these two Marys who are just sitting at the tomb looking at it. What must have been going through their heads in that moment? The reflecting on what's happened. The stunned in what's taking place. The, what what do we even do now? By the way, it was against Roman law to to mourn the death of one that was crucified. So I'm also going to add to this it was most likely silent in this moment for them Uh, that's important because if you go to lazarus and in that and you read and you get a little bit understanding of jewish culture in that day and jewish culture in that day was very often when someone died there would be lots of noise and i don't mean that they were making a scene to try and act like a scene, and they even had mourners who would come and participate. That was how they expressed themselves. It was very loud and very mournful, and here we have this scene where where they understood the, the parameters, and they were probably just quiet. Don't let our familiarity with the scenario lose the depth of what's going on. Matthew turns here from the scene at the tomb to a scene over with the chief priests, Pharisees, and Pilate. And the emphasis here is secure. Chapter 27, verse 62. The next day, that is after the preparation, the day of preparation. By the way, day of preparation. Matthew doesn't use Sabbath here very possibly because Sabbath during a time of feast kind of had a breadth of range Of understanding on what it meant not just the sabbath day but kind of a number of things so it's kind of cool here and i'll note it here he's kind of one of the only ones that uses this term so it has this idea of uh, specifying it's the day after preparation Uh, so it would be friday the chief priests and the pharisees they meet uh, with pilate they're gathered there with pilate verse 63 and they said to pilate sir uh, we remember how that imposter that impostor is referring to Jesus. Remember that that impostor said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. It's interesting. They, they state it correctly because even as Matthew records it here, the word I will rise, or the, the verb as it, it's a passive verb. That means in here that when it's a passive verb, that person is not doing the action. It is done to him. We're going to see at the end today, we're going to take a a finish in 1 Corinthians 15, that actually Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And that actually is an important reality in things. Because the perfect one who fully died was risen, was made alive by the Father in that. And, And there's carried implications even to us in that reality. And so here it's in passive form. Also, it's kind of interesting that, that the Pharisees and, and the uh, elders here, or the chief priests and the Pharisees here, they remember what Jesus said and are doing something about it. And I just asked the question, it seems like the disciples and his followers have forgotten that Jesus has said this, but his enemies are remembering what Jesus said and are covering to make sure there is no movement with it. But his own people, it seems, have forgotten what he's said. There's a lesson in that for us. Never forget what the Lord says. In his time, he will do what he says he will do. Okay? Uh, after three days I will rise. Uh, verse 64, Therefore order the tomb, Pilate, to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Essentially the first is saying he's a Messiah, and the second is he's going to rise from the dead. Verse 65, Pilate said to them, um, um, that's somewhere in the text, um, uh, you have a guard of soldiers. Uh, go make it as secure as you can. <laughs> Comment on that just a second, verse 66. So they went, made the tomb secure third time by sealing the stone and setting a guard. I, I love that statement in verse 65. because Once again, you see these two, Pilate does not like these people and these people do not like Pilate. And Pilate comes back and he's like, listen, I've done your work. And now you're asking me to come back and do some more work? I don't think so. I'm done with this game. By the way, in the paragraph earlier, the fact that Pilate gave the body to Joseph is a statement. In that day, uh, anyone anyone who was accused of high treason, which essentially Jesus was accused of high treason by Rome, thus the crucifixion, he claims he's the king of the Jews, High treason statement. Pilate is saying you can take him down. In that day, anyone accused of high treason was not allowed to be buried. And yet here, Pilate is allowing allowing Joseph of Arimathea to bury Jesus. It is like this quiet statement that Pilate does not believe that Jesus committed high treason. Then we come here to this next section, and the leaders are coming and saying, hey, will you finish doing the dirty deed for us? And he's like, I ain't playing that game. You got some of your own guards. And I do think some of these guards, there's kind of a mix where they are Roman guards, but they are also temple guards in this. And, And I think uh, Pilate is like, I'm out with you. You take care of yourself because I don't want to be accused of anything more from here. And so it all goes down. It's secured up. Things are laid in place, and we move here to where we're in, chapter 28, raised. This is it. All of redemptive history holds on what happens here now because it's time to punk Satan. Here we go. Verse 1, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, by the way, that means that so Friday, Saturday, Saturday dusk is or when the sun's going down. That's the end of the Sabbath. That means it's dark. That is not the time for Mary and Mary to go to the tomb because it's dark. They won't be able to see anything, do anything. Uh, So it's telling us it's the next day. Uh, It's the morning of the next day that's going on with what's happening. Now, after the Sabbath, during the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. They were caring for the body. This is what the process would be. Uh, Matthew doesn't say anything about them bringing spices, even though we're told in the other Gospels that they did bring spices. They would treat the body with it, but it's not important to Matthew. Why is it not important to Matthew? Because he's risen from the dead. You'll see. I'm so excited I'm ahead of myself. Verse two, I love this, and behold. By the way, Matthew is writing that, okay? Matthew wants us to know something. As the reader, behold, like stop and let this sink in. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Hey, there was an earthquake at the death of Christ, right? Now there's an earthquake at the resurrection of Christ. His great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. <laughs> kind of like, da-da-da-da. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning, bam, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. It's, it's really an interesting thing when manly men... tremble in absolute fear it's a good thing every so often it's a good thing verse 5 but the angel said to the women do not be afraid i'll make a comment on that here after a little bit do not be afraid by the way i will just say how sweet is that for i know that you seek jesus I might encourage you to underline those words because is that not like a statement you would love to hear the divine say about you, me, us? Hey, an angel shows up. Hasn't happened in my life yet, but it would be cool. If an angel showed up and said, hey, I know you and you seek Jesus, that, that would be Sweet. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. So intriguing. Angels know exactly what's going on. Verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen. Can you imagine right there what those ladies are doing in their head? I mean, in those nanoseconds of communication moments. Like, what is processing here? Um, He is not here, for he has risen. And then I love this last three words in that sentence. As he said. It's like, it's not just something that you didn't know about and now you have something that's unknown. It's this idea that, like, you've been told this and he said he would do this. Come, see the place where he lay. Want some proof? Come. By the way, the moving of the stone at the front of the tomb is not so much about Jesus having to walk out. He could have just, like, gone through the stone. Okay? It's more about access in. The moving of the front stone is not, Jesus didn't have to walk out, because we're going to see later, or if you look later in, in the text of it, I mean, he can go through walls. If he can do that, he can, like, go through the, st- what's the word, stone door. A- and it's more about access in, and so the stone has been moved, and so he's, like, sitting on there, he's like, Take a look. Uh, By the way, the gospel is not just about words. It's also about proof. Come and see where he lay. Oh, by the way, and then go quickly and tell his disciple that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. Uh, There you will see him. See, I have told you. So cool with what's happening here. Uh, Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb, with fear and great joy. I, I, I get the whole great joy thing, but I'm actually more intrigued with the with fear statement. You know, in Revelation 1, when the apostle John uh, sees uh, the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, he falls face down, thinking he's going to die. And I think that's the kind of idea here. They know, these two women know, that something has just taken place that is so mind-blowing, that is so miraculous, that is so uh, heavenly of of God, that an angel is here and talking to us and showing us this kind of stuff, that it's not just like, yeah, he's alive. I think it's like, yeah, he's alive, and oh my word. This is like something big that God is at work doing Fear and um, joy. And they ran to tell his disciples, verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them. <laughs> I think this is met Mary and Mary, and said, greetings. <laughs> I, I, I think Matthew was looking at his piece of paper and his papyrus, and he's like, man, I don't have a lot of room left, so I just got to say this quick. Because it's like, I don't think Jesus is like, greetings. I mean, it just seems so, like, non-climactic, right? And, uh, and yet in it, he's trying to give the idea clearly. Jesus did in it. Uh, and they came up, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. How wonderful is that? They go face down, and they worship him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Second time. The angel said that Jesus said that Jesus says that again in Revelation chapter 1 to John when he thinks he's going to die he takes his right hand puts it on John's shoulder and he says John do not be afraid. By the way, if you know Christ as your savior, when the day comes to where you stand before God, that is the reception. I think it is gonna be so mind-blowing that there is gonna be a John Apostle John Revelation 1 and kind of what these women are experiencing in all this reality to it. It's like, oh, I had no idea it was this awesome, this big, this cool. And and yet, in it, no, 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 you're mine. Don't be afraid. I'm not here to crush you. I love you. Wonderful. Do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and I don't think this is just the, disi- the remaining disciples I think this is has to do with kind of the whole brothers and sisters in the broader spectrum who've been followers of Christ and there they will see me Jesus had predicted prophesied that he would do that how cool is all this By the way, three times in these first eight verses in chapter 28 is the statement, Behold, Matthew tells the reader, Behold, behold. And then we're also told that the angel says, Behold. There's a principle out of this. It's not just know the story. It's go beyond the knowledge of the story. And that's why I'm trying today and even through this, I think as our culture, we're becoming more and more biblical illiterate. And, and we, we are losing the depth of Scripture, and we are losing the beholding of it. We know some information to fill in the blank spots, and we just want like a little tap on the shoulder to feel good about ourselves. But instead, this is so deep, I could say this, behold this. This is bigger than all the money in the world you could get. This is bigger than any kind of thing you could accomplish. This is about eternity. This is about relationship with God. This is the grandest thing ever that he has come, the second person he has come, put his feet on the ground on earth and to do for us what we deserve but we couldn't do for ourselves. He did for us and he made the provision for relationship with him Forever, friends, behold it. And the struggle that we, every one of us have, including me for sure, is the beholding every day. Behold, he's been raised from the dead. Last item, last paragraph, bribed. While they were going, behold. Some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. By the way, I, I think this is one of the reasons why I think these are temple guards. were kind of associated with Roman guards. Uh, I don't think Roman, pure Roman guards under the direct authority of Pilate would be going to the chief priests at this point. But they go to the chief priests, uh, and, and uh, verse 12, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, in other words, they connived, They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night, stole him away while he was asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. It's interesting. This is why Matthew uniquely provides us this information about the guards and the other gospels don't. Matthew's wanting us to understand that not only was Jesus' uh, uh, crucifixion a result of lying and deception by the Jewish leaders, but it was also, uh, after his resurrection, there's lies and deception surrounding it all. And unique to Matthew is Matthew is kind of providing an apologetic for this aspect of uh, some claims that people will make trying to discount the fact of the resurrection of Christ here he makes the stolen corpse theory as it's kind of called uh, that Matthew uniquely tells us that uh, they are that they made this understanding that there's a concoction that no no here's here's how it happened <clears throat> the disciples at night went over with these soldiers guarding the tomb <laughs> and they happened to be asleep by the way dereliction of duty and basically is suicide and, and no, but they happened to. And, and then while they're asleep, man, I'm telling you, they were in a deep sleep because they moved a stone that would take multiple men to move. And by the way, stones, when they're rubbing against each other, don't move quietly. Okay? And, and they move the stone and then they go and they get Jesus. Oh, and then they move it back. And yeah, the soldiers are so, such doofuses. Uh, that's Greek such doofuses that they lose the whole idea of what's going on i'm telling you friends here's what's so ironic about this matthew wants us to see that the very leadership that demanded to have guards at the tomb god ended up using the guards to prove is one of the aspects that it didn't happen the way they said it happened jesus rose from the dead friends that's what happened and the guards went and did this. By the way, I'm just going to make, there's other ideas that are out there. I'll make comment on two. One is there's a swoon theory that actually Jesus did not die on the cross. He was close to death. But then when they took him down and they put him in a, a nice, cool, moist tomb, that gave him enough to be able to you know come, come back fully. And, and uh, there's a whole bunch of problems with that, including how, how in the world does a dude like that move a stone from the inside but just on top of that I'm telling you the Romans knew how to do crucifixion and there was no way in heaven's name that they would allow anyone to be have any question of not being fully dead dead but they keep trying another one that's out there is I'm calling it kind of the not Jesus theory in other words the Quran claims uh, that uh, Jesus did not die on the cross the Quran claims, Muslims claim that instead it was either Judas or a bystander or Peter or a Roman soldier or there's some other ideas on who it was. But the idea is, is that from a uh, from a Muslim, is is God would never allow a prophet of God. By the way, their... Th- their theology of who Jesus was, would never allow a a prophet of God to be crucified like that. God would never allow that. And yet isn't it interesting how, so it's a common thing in American culture today, we have the idea that all religions lead to the same God. I'm telling you, the whole story does not come anywhere close because it's saying that Jesus didn't die on the cross. With that in mind, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Because, friends, the resurrection is foundational, fundamental, and the core fact of uh, the entire uh, relationship with God. Our whole faith is based on the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And the Apostle Paul makes that very clear. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who was a hater of Christians at one time in his life, and then the resurrected Christ showed up, and he turned Saul's life inside out and upside down, to say the least. And listen to that one who was turned inside out and upside down by the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says about the resurrection. Chapter 15, we'll start in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, Go down to middle verse 3 that Christ died for our sins in accordance. By the way, Christ died, not someone else in his place. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7 and Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely board, uh, born, he appeared also to me. Paul's kind of making a shot at himself in that. And he even appeared to me. Can you get a load of that? Verse 12. Now remember, Paul was a lawyer. Love you, lawyers but you don't write in human manners that the rest of us can understand, okay? So follow along. Paul was a lawyer in his pre-vocational ministry career. Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, in other words, if there is no life after death, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, then our proclamation, it is in vain. Oh, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. By the way, do you see that before passive verb? God the Father raised God the Son from the dead. Because we, we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He's repeating himself. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only. In other words, friends, if we're doing this whole gig that we're doing together, and and there is no resurrection, and there is no life after death, Paul is saying, we of all people are most to be pitied. Verse 20. One of the most amazing buts in all of Scripture. But. In fact. Christ has been risen from the dead. Period. Friends, why is that important? Because the fact of Christ having risen from the dead, it means there is life after death. That's a big deal. By the way, the fact of Christ having risen from the dead confirms that what we are talking about and what this says is the real deal. This is not a game. This is not fake. This is not just some kind of crutch. The fact that Christ has risen from the dead means that everything that we believe from Scripture is true and right. The fact of Christ having risen from the dead means that there is availability for the forgiveness of sins and direct relationship with God through the Son. And if you take out the resurrection, all that goes. So I say this. Behold, there is life after death. And I say this behold, what we are proclaiming is true. And behold, there is forgiveness for sin. And behold, there is one who has come in our place, paid the price, and risen from the dead. And he says, To all who would receive me, I. You will be my child. At seven years old, after hearing John 3.16 from my parents probably a hundred times, at a church we visited one Sunday, for some reason that Sunday, John 3.16 jumped off the page to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him will have eternal life. And I remember at seven years old, having heard that a number of times, for some reason, that Sunday, everything changed because I realized I was a sinner separated from God as a seven-year-old. And I didn't want that. All I knew, all I knew was I wanted to be able to have a relationship with this God who created me and has provided the opportunity for me to be his child. And so I was standing between, between a drinking fountain and the bathroom door Waiting for my parents to come out of a Sunday school class. It was there that I remember driving the stake in the ground and saying, God, I'm a sinner. I want Christ as my Savior, and I want to do life with you. My whole life was changed in that moment, and I didn't even know it. Have you done that? Whether you're 7 years old or 77 years old or 107, I don't think anyone's 107 in here. But if you are, cool. <laughs> the Lord loves you. He has died and risen from the dead to conquer sin and make relationship with him available. As many as you receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you've never done that, you need to get with someone, come up front after the service and people will be up here. We'd love to talk with you about that. If you know Christ as your Savior, do not fear. He's risen from the dead. They knew Jesus. May that be our declaration. Lord, thank you for who you are and what you have done and how awesome you are. We hold you high. We lift your name. As the worship team comes and closes in this song, I just pray that this would continue as a a prayer of our hearts unto you. The fact that you have risen from the dead is not just some kind of story. It is not just some kind of account that we learn and we recite as some passing class type of thing. It is about true relationship with you made available because of your death and your resurrection. And so we hold to you, we cling to you, call out to you, we worship you, we awe you. And Lord, I pray that as we now sing that this prayer would continue of a declaration of who you are and what you've done